So this, this week I was reading in Psalm 36. And David begins in verse 5 and he talks about the steadfast love of God. He moves on down in the next part of verse 5 and he talks about God's faithfulness. That he's never changing, that he's always there. And then, then he begins to go into his righteousness. And we can look at our world and, and we, can, we can look at some of the things that happen because of the, the presence of evil in a fallen world. And we wonder, God, where is your righteousness? But it means that there is no wrong in his rightness. And then it says, your justice is never ending. And, and, and basically it means whether his judgments are, are favorable or unfavorable, they don't show up at our door because they got the wrong address. He is faithful. But then the beautiful part comes in, in the last part of that, and it says, as, as David writes, and David was going through some struggles, and it says this, it says literally, how precious is your steadfast love. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. David was describing the Ark of the Covenant. He was describing, if you go back and you look, when, when God instructed Moses to construct the Ark of the Covenant and, and, and to make the cover, and it was, it was literally... Uh, two uh, angelic beings, the cherubim, cherubim that were, were there and their, their wings would stretch out from one side of the, 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 the holy of holies to the other. And, and the wings would touch in the middle and, and what David was describing is that in the shelter of his wings, in that place, but in David's day, that place was behind the veil. And the only person who got to go through the veil was the high priest. And that once a year on the Day of Atonement. And, and so coming out of that, the, the, the hymn writer writes, my anchor holds within the veil. And there is this mental image. David's saying, that's where I find shelter. I find shelter in that place that it's hard for me to get to sometimes. But there, as under his wings, in the shadow of his presence where God rescues us so the hymn writer picks up on that and he says my anchor holds through the veil through those storms in life through those struggles in the faith through those things that would seek to keep us from the presence of God my anchor goes through those and holds in him. So I want us to sing that stanza again. And I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know if you came in here thinking, man, there is no hope. It's all bad. If you've been watching all the news, stop. Because I'm telling you, it's all fake news. Because it portrays stuff today that, that for the child of God, it's not true. We win. We win in Christ. So I want you to sing that stanza of the hymn again. And I want you to mentally see whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're hurt, 
whatever your pain, but in particular, in light of your joy and your hope. We have an anchor that holds through the veil, through those things that would keep us away. Sing that first verse, my hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Not dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Father, what a powerful truth about who Jesus is, your only begotten Son that you sent, that we might know you, the one and only true God. Lord, we ask you this morning as we lift up your name in song and as we lift up your name in truth and the study of your truth and your word, that God, you'd speak, that you would reveal yourself in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to us as you seek to, to shape us and to mold us into the image of your one and only, only begotten Son, Jesus. And Father, then that the world will know that you alone are our hope and our strength. Father, may all glory fall to you today. May it exalt the Son. And we pray that this morning in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. We began looking a couple weeks ago at the promises that are made to the church, the promises of God, and in particular the first, the promise of power. Jesus said, the last words he spoke as he ascended, you will receive power. Last week we began to look at the fruit of the Spirit, the promise that that you and I will bear fruit, and what that fruit is, and how uh, that fruit comes about in our life. And we looked at some of those truths, and 
and uh, some of those things uh, based upon the promises of Christ. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, uh, the, the, the 15th chapter of what chapter we know is the vine, he says, uh, you will bear fruit. That is a promise that he makes. And we talked about what that fruit is, that sometimes we, we get kind of caught in the idea that fruit is, is scalps counted for Jesus Christ. How many spiritual notches can I make on my spiritual gun belt that I, I, I won that person to Christ? And we use that language, and, and the reality is if you won somebody to Christ, they're not one, okay? Uh, we, we better not have anything to do with that. We ought to be witnesses, yes. But if I can talk you into coming to Christ, then something's wrong. The Holy Spirit does that work. He is the one that, that draws and, and calls and reveals. He uses us as witnesses to be about those things and those truths. And, and we, we talked about and looked at how Paul deals with uh, this struggle. And until you and I come to faith in Christ, there's not a struggle. Uh, you don't know. We don't know that our flesh is warring against the Spirit, and both in Romans and in Galatians. Galatians 16, uh, in 5, 5, 16, and 17, Paul talks about this war between my flesh and my spirit. And, and if you remember, I showed you a video that, that you know, it, it's not trying harder. It's not pitting my spirit against the flesh. And, and, and it is a constant struggle. And I, I gave you the good news. That struggle is going to be in your life until the day you meet Jesus. Okay? We are going to struggle with this thing called the flesh. And, and, and we're going to struggle with this new nature that, that Christ has breathed into us. But here's the deal. It's not a fair fight. This isn't a fight between two equal forces. Satan loses. In fact, he's already lost. And the flesh is, is going to be perfected in Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to deliver me and deliver you. We're going to be set free. We win. And, and, and that idea ought to encourage us that as I seek to walk the walk of faith, as I seek to, to surrender, and we talk about that, that it's not this, this greater idea of, mm, but it is the life of surrender. It is, it is coming and understanding that, that I am going to be delivered, and that delivery is something that takes place because of my faith. Faith is that, that truth or that idea that I believe and I know, not because of something I've done or we've done or I, I've done more of, but simply because of who Jesus Christ is, what he did, his completed work on the cross, his death in a borrowed tomb, and most importantly, his resurrection, that he is alive. And, and because of that, I can believe by faith that I will be delivered, and I am being delivered, and I have been delivered. And, and so as you and I think about that, and, and, and we begin to work through this, and, and, and think about those those struggles, remember, it is as I submit. As it is as I, Paul writes in, in, in verse um, 18, as I surrender to being led by the Spirit, that I begin to be delivered in my daily walk, my moment-by-moment, step-by-step, minute-by-minute process of the faith. And if you remember the video, eyes up. Where I'm looking is going to determine you know, tip, man, tip, tip had the lift. 
I, I didn't ask him how much weight that was. He had the lift. If you, if you can get it to here, you can stand up. He had the lift. But his eyes went down and everything else followed. So where am I looking? Where is my gauge and what I do? And, and how does that look in, in my life as we seek to walk this walk of faith? Remember, not try harder, submit more. And, and as you and I begin to have the development of the fruit of the Spirit in our life, what happens is our vocabulary begins to change. If I were to ask you as a believer, what is your desire? Most of, us, most of us would say that our desire is that I want to be successful in my Christian walk. But as I begin to understand the power of God developing His fruit in me, my vocabulary changes. It's no longer my pursuit of being successful. It is my surrender. And so what does that look like this morning? What, is, what, what does the second part of this passage teach us about how I am promised, you are promised. If you're here this morning and you have a relationship to Jesus Christ, God promises that we will bear fruit. So what's that look like? You have your Bibles open there to the book of Galatians, the fifth chapter. If you would, please stand with me this morning as we honor God's word as we read it together. Beginning in verse 16, for context, Paul writes and says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the th things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You may be seated. May God bless His Word this morning as we stay together. I'm going to totally depart from my Baptist roots today. Uh, we just have two points. And there's no poem. Okay, but each one of those points has three sub-points. No, I'm just kidding. So the, the first part of that that Paul talks about, he's writing and he's sharing with the church. And, and the important thing to realize about fruit is that fruit is a natural byproduct of an inherent DNA. Fruit grows. You can go to work in a factory and you can use machines and you can produce a product. If you work hard and toil hard and work successfully and faithfully, you can produce or bring about a product. Wearsby points out that's not true with fruit. Fruit flows. It grows. It is something that is inherent in the DNA of the fruit seed. If you take a fruit seed and you plant it in the wild and you don't cultivate it, that fruit will grow. Now, it may not be as fruitful. It may not be as productive as it could be in a cultivated place, but fruit will grow. 
A few years ago, after we moved, just after we'd moved to Eastland, one of the guys in our church had a rather large cattle ranch, and he didn't have anybody that hunted on his part of, on, on the cattle part of his ranch. And, and, uh, and he said, hey, if you want to bring your kids out and hunt, you can. And so we went out and set up a couple of feeders, and I had a big four-wheel drive uh, F-350 Ford. I know it's hard for you to believe that I had a truck like that, but, but I did, and big tires, and went out there one day in the rain, and, and I have this knack. I can get stuck in just about anywhere, okay? It doesn't have to be a lot of mud. I can get stuck. And so I went to, to the ranch. I was going to go put out some, uh, some corn and, and get ready to hunt. And I got my truck stuck. And in getting it stuck and getting it unstuck, I put a bunch of mud in the bed of my truck, okay? Just covered the bed of my truck about three inches deep in mud. In the process of going to the, the, the deer lease, I had thrown some bags of corn, and one of those sacks of corn busted, and so there was some corn that was loose in my truck bed that got covered with mud. It had been raining, and it continued to rain, and I'm not one known to wash my truck a lot. After about three weeks, I went out one day and looked, and just getting something out of my truck, and I looked in the bed, and I had little bitty corn plants. That's, I tried to find a picture. I took a picture of it. So it's, it's a true story. They were about three, four, five inches. They were growing, little bitty corn plants growing in the bed of my truck. I didn't, I didn't try to grow corn in the bed of my truck. There is something inherent in the DNA of that seed that causes it to grow. Fruit in the faith is the same thing. I don't work to bring about fruit. I work to cultivate the soil. Two different things. And so Paul says those who are in the faith, those who are part of the Spirit, will have the fruit of the Spirit. And they are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So Paul begins to work through this, and he begins to talk about some things. Now, the gift of the Spirit is salvation. The gifts of the Spirit are for service. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of grace that is produced in the life of the believer. And those grace characteristics have a ninefold demonstration. The first three of those are Godward. And Paul says everything starts from love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the word there for love is the Greek word agape. It means self-sacrificing love. Everything about your life and my life as a believer should flow from the idea of what Jesus Christ, the reality of what Jesus Christ did as he sacrificed himself for you, for me, for our sin and the sin of the whole world. Love. When I understand the love of God... And that the love of God, as we looked at David's word this morning in Psalm 36, is steadfast, it is faithful, it is sure, it is firm in its foundation, then joy can come out of that. In other words, it doesn't matter what my circumstance is, I can be joyful. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians 9 when he had prayed for the, the release or the removal of his thorn in the flesh. And he said, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul writes and says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Joy. Paul knew he could be joyful 
regardless of what was going on around him because the love of God is constant. And, and that love of God is something that's supposed to be constant in a believer. That's part of the fruit, that I love God. And when I love God, I can be joyful. And out of the love and joy of God flows peace. And that peace that, that God talks about there, or, or that, that Paul writes about here, of God, is the peace that Paul then writes about in Philippians 4, 17, where he says, the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard actively your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit first in my life, in the life of a believer, is based upon God's love, which in turn causes me to love God because He first loved us. And when I love God it, it, and, and understand the consistent nature of who He is, that His love doesn't ebb and flow, I'm able to be joyful regardless of what's going on around me. And when I'm joyful in God because of His love, I have a peace that transcends all understanding. I have a peace that transcends all misunderstanding. I can just be at peace with, with who God is and who I am, not because of anything that I've done, but because of who God is in my life. So I would ask you this morning, are those characteristics of grace, the fruit, singular, Manifold, manifested nine different ways in your life, my life, our life. Are they increasing in who you are as a child of God? Godward. The, the next three parts of the fruit are manward. They are the things that begin to, to, as God speaks this truth, and I begin to grow in who He is and who He desires to be in my life. Those next three begin to, to, to show themselves out to other people. And, and uh, so He continues, and He says, Patience. Patience means long forbearing. It, it is having a long fuse, not a short fuse. If there is ever an area in my life where the Holy Spirit needs my surrender more, it is in the area of my fuse length. Now, I, I can tell you my fuse used to be about that long. It's, it's about this long now, okay? It's getting there. But, but patience, that's what it means. It, it literally means to, to have a long fuse, long temper, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness is that um, being kind to others when they may not be kind to you. You know, you can force that for a little bit. But the way you know you're forcing it is you resent the heck out of it. And then goodness. And goodness is something that you cannot do. If you and I can be good in the way that this is talking about, it is complete and total evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you because it is humanly impossible to grab this kind of goodness. And the goodness is being good and right towards someone else when they're not good and right towards you. Just whether it's received, rejected, or returned. That you're just good towards other people. So as I work on those things and allow God to work in me, love, joy, peace, 
based upon something that is solid and sure, his firm foundation, then it begins to manifest itself outward to others in my patience towards other people, my kindness towards other people, my goodness towards other people, those I like and those I don't like, those I get along with and those I don't get along with, people who don't carry the same Bible that I carry, people who who don't vote the same way I vote, Uh, people who don't Pick, pick. If they don't like Kraft macaroni and cheese, okay? I mean, there's some really weird people out there, okay? Um, Whatever it is that's different, God's grace begins to manifest itself through me towards them. Why? Because that's exactly what He does for me. And then as those things happen and that outward stuff begins to go, the last three fruit characteristics of the Spirit are inward. And, and those are things that God grows in us. And, and, and literally, um, that, that, that Holy Spirit produce leads to faithfulness. That, that I am morally connected. That's what faithfulness means there. Morally connected to all that God is. There is a moral connection in my life. And, and, and then he says gentleness. And gentleness is the ability to use power and influence rightly. And then the last is goodness. And goodness is literally being under the control, or self-control, literally being under the control of the Holy Spirit, not using my abilities, power, whatever I have for my own benefit. How do you know when you're operating under the the fruit, the guidance, the power, the authority of the Holy Spirit in your life, when you're doing it, when I'm doing it, when we're doing it right, God alone gets the glory. That's how I know. God alone is glorified. And that ought to be the, the heart and desire of every single child of the living God, that I glorify Him and and lift Him up in everything I do. Now, how does that fruit grow? I can't make it grow. It is something that is inherent. The moment that I was was indwelled, the moment you were indwelled, the moment you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Word of God tells us the Holy Spirit was given to us as a gift, salvation. So how does it grow? It grows as I cultivate the ground. Look at verse 25 and 26. So Paul writes and he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so Paul says, writes, describes how this comes about. It comes about when I keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And keeping in step with the Holy Spirit means two things. Well, three things, actually. It means that I don't run ahead. I don't get too far ahead of of where the Lord is leading me. I don't lag behind and that I am constantly self-correcting to stay in step with him. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little, little test here, okay? I'm, I want to determine how, how young our congregation is, okay? If you remember a television show that you watched either originally or in syndication, reruns, and the name of the show is Gomer Pyle. Stand up, okay? If you remember Gomer Pyle, if you've ever seen an episode of Gomer Pyle, stand up. Okay, not bad, 
Not bad. Okay, sit down. The rest of you are fixing to have no clue what I'm talking about. Gomer Pyle was uh, a character on Andy Griffith, and, and he spun off his own show. And if you remember, Gomer always had trouble marching. Remember? And, and like the intro scene, they would be marching, and they were trying to go left, right, left, right, and Gomer wouldn't get it. And so he'd, do, he'd kind of do this little, that was really bad. Okay, let me, let me try to get that again. That's it. There you go. He would do that little hop step to get back in time. And about the time he got in time, they'd turn around and head the other way. And he'd have to do it again. That's what the picture is described of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It is a militaristic term, but it's not militaristic in its use. It is an idea that I am to not be too far ahead or too far behind and that I am constantly self-adjusting to stay in step with where the Holy Spirit's leading me. That is the first part of cultivating the growth of the Holy Spirit in my life, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. And then he says the reason we know it's not militaristic is he says don't become conceited. Last part of verse 26 there. He, he says, let us not become conceited. Let us not become provoking one another or envying one another. So this is how I know it's not this thing. It is a sensitivity thing, sensitive thing. Conceited. Conceited means that you think you've arrived and you're waiting for everybody else to get there. But you're like, man, I wish other people would get this. You know, God opens your eyes or your heart to some spiritual truth in His Word, and you're thinking, how stupid can everybody else be that they haven't seen this? That's conceited. Not provoking. How do I know when I'm cultivating the ground around me is because I'm not provoking people to gossip or to slander or, or to speak ill of other people. That there's this calmness in my life, and my life is, is about simply glorifying Him. So I'm not engaged in trying to provoke other people to join me in whatever I'm mad about. Boy, doesn't our world need a lot of that. Not conceited, not provoking, not envying. That no matter what I have or don't have, no matter what somebody else has or doesn't have, that I don't want what they have that I am content. That's how I know the fruit of the Spirit is manifesting itself in my life. And if it's not manifesting, if those things aren't true, then it means that I, if I truly have a relationship to Jesus Christ, it's really been established, it means I need to do some weeding. I need to do some cultivation, not to, 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 to produce fruit, but to make the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life more fruitful and those are things that I do in the book Old Testament in the Bible God leads the children of Israel out of Egypt out of bondage he parts the Red Sea he brings them to to the edge of the of the, the journey that they're going to make to the promised land and um, in Exodus 19 verse 6 he says to them their purpose as the nation of Israel. You will be for me, he says, a kingdom of priests. Different. And then he begins to go through what we know as the Levitical law. And he's telling them, eat this, don't eat that, wear this, don't wear that. 
And, and he was doing that because he wanted them to understand the unique nature of his call on their life. I mean, the, in that day and time, they, one of the things they were told, and it's a law that you and I have all broken, okay? Don't wear blended clothes, blended, you know, wool and, and silk or, or synthetic clothes, blended different threads and fibers. Don't do that. He told them, don't eat these types of food. And the reason that he told them not to do that is because he knew they were going to be around the world that was doing all those things. And so he wanted them, like, they'd go sit down in a, in a, 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 a boutique or a restaurant or something in that day and time. Just use your brain, okay? They would go sit down to eat, and somebody would set something on the table that they weren't supposed to eat. And they would go, no, I can't eat that. And the people would go, oh, you're one of those. Or... They would, they would go to the store to buy clothes, and they'd be looking on the only wool rack. And there'd only be the wrong size and the only wool rack. And they'd go, hey, have you got this and an extra large? And they would go, well, no, but I've got that same style over here and this. And they'd go, oh, I can't wear that. Oh, you're one of those. And they were, they were to be different in the way they acted in public so that they could initiate a conversation. That was the whole purpose. Because they were holy, because, and that word holy means called out, set apart. Because they were set apart, be different. The problem with Israel is they started thinking because they were eating different foods and wearing different clothes, that made them holy. It became an event, and they missed the purpose. They started looking down on the very people they were supposed to be priests for because they didn't eat like they did or dress like they did. Instead of being different in their midst so that it would open the door for a conversation and they could introduce people to the God of the ages. That's our purpose. Fast forward from the Old Testament to the New Testament, to, to the covenant that, that you and I are blessed to walk under. And, and what we understand is that fruit can't be manufactured fruit is the outgrowth of life and life is found and lived only in step with the holy spirit if i'm not walking in step i'm not walking in life there is life in no other one save jesus christ alone and so i can't i can't manufacture this fruit but if I work on my Godward heart instead of my manward heart, if I allow God to have that, then what happens is my life really begins to show the results of God's reversal. It's not religion. It's not try harder. It's surrender more. And allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. How? First of all, you've got to make sure you got the right seed. John 16, 8, Jesus said, If I go away, I'm going to send a comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world in regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. John 16, 8. In regards to sin, I got the right seed when I realized it's not about me. I can't do this. 
in regards to righteousness, when I began to realize I can't make this happen, I have to surrender my life to the presence of the Holy Spirit, to the person of Jesus Christ in everything that I do. And in regards to judgment, because I cannot get there on my own. I don't know how many of you saw the deal a few months ago about Aaron Rodgers. Quarterback for Green Bay. If you like him, like him as an athlete. Don't like him as a person. But he made a statement that he can't believe in a God who would send half the people in the world to hell. That's not a very gracious and loving God. My response to that is God's not sending anybody to hell. Hold on. Before you go off, I didn't just leave the reservation. God loves people enough to allow them to choose hell if that's what they want. The only way you're getting in is through a relationship to Jesus Christ that comes through your submission, your surrender, my submission, my surrender to who he is and what he did on the cross through his death, burial, and his resurrection and his life today in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you get in. If you want to get in and try to get in some other way, he loves you enough to let you. That's what the whole judgment stuff in Revelation is about. There are going to be some people that said, I can do this on my own. And he's going to say, okay, here's the measuring stick. Perfection. Jesus, did you get there? No. Sorry. Have you got the right seed? Has there been a time in your life where to the best of your ability you quit? You quit striving and you surrendered. And you asked Jesus Christ based upon his death, burial, and resurrection to truly be Lord of your life. If you're not, then today could be that day. Right now could be that moment where you call upon the name of the Lord and say, I quit. And I need you. And I believe what you did is enough. If you're here this morning and you have a relationship to Christ, then, then our role is to begin to cultivate the soil. Jesus said, every branch in me that bears fruit, my Father prunes so that it's more fruitful. Cultivate the soil to make it more fruitful. Cultivate the soil. That, that's our job in bearing fruit. I can't bear it. I can't bring it about. I can't force it. But I can cultivate the soil. So how do I cultivate the soil? Get in the Word. How much? More than you are now. Whatever that is. Get in the Word. More than you are now. Expose yourself to God's Word. Not only do we cultivate the, 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 the soil by being in the Word, engage in prayer. How do I pray? Just take His Word and pray it back to Him. If there's a, 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 a statement of His glory, His holiness, His power, let's just say, Lord, I glorify You because. If there's a, a response um, that, that it shows you, how, how, should, how should I respond? Walk in truth. Lord, help me today to walk in truth. Just take His Word and pray it back to Him. Be open. Number three, be open to a lifestyle of worship. 
get out of the mindset that worship takes place on Sunday mornings. Between a set hour or a set time. That's not worship. It's worship. It better be worship, but it's not worship. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that starts the moment you come to faith. And I walk constantly in what I do. Open yourself to a lifestyle of worship. As you open yourself to a lifestyle of worship, participate in praise. Praise Him. Man, I don't have anything good to praise Him for. Are you breathing? <laughs> You're alive. You got another opportunity. Praise Him. And as you praise Him, the last part of that is engage in partnership with the body of Christ. That means to walk in, in fellowship and accountability to who people are in our life. So here's the deal. Two questions. Sorry I did that that way. That's a really bad, that's a really bad thing. You got to remember I was in Eastland for 70 and a half years and we were the Mavericks. And so that was kind of our deal. Two things. Two things. Do you have the right seat? Has there been a time where you ask Christ to be Lord of your life? If not, today's your day. If you have the right seed, how do you need to cultivate your soil? As a believer, that's the only question I need to ask every single day. How am I cultivating my soil? How I need to cultivate is going to be different than how you need to cultivate. What I need to work on is going to be different than what you need to work on. But how do I need to cultivate? How do I need to make this soil and the Holy Spirit seed in my life? How do I do things, take away things, remove things, add things that make that soil of my heart more And then this, who are you sharing your fruit with? See, fruit's not made to look at. Have you ever noticed how if you buy a bunch of bananas and just stick them on the shelf and look at them, what happens? They rot. Apples, oranges, any fruit that you take and just sit on the shelf and look at, mm-mm. Fruit's made to share. So who's the one this week that we need to share with about what God's done in our life? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the day that you've given us. I thank you for your grace. Father, more and more, every single day, I am aware of your grace. I am aware more and more that your grace is sufficient. I am encouraged more and more that your power is perfected in weakness. So, Father, I ask you, help me this week through Jesus Christ under the leadership and submission to the Holy Spirit to cultivate my soil. You promised this life you gave me in Christ would bear fruit. I thank you for what I see is evidence of, of fruit in my life. But God, there is so much more you want to do. So help me cultivate the soil. I pray, Lord, for those here this morning that may or may not um, know what it means to walk in faith. And, 
If they do, help them cultivate. If they don't, then Father, I pray right now you would plant a good seed in their heart. I pray for the Holy Spirit to call upon those this morning who are lost and who are destined for a literal torment of hell. That today they might call upon Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, and be saved. That's who you are. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just tell him right now, I quit. I quit trying. I quit striving. And I surrender to what you did on the cross for me. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer knowing my heart and saving me. Lord, I ask you this morning to add to your fellowship if it be your will. I ask you this morning to to call us to obedience, whatever that may be, and do it so that Christ alone receives the glory. We'll be very careful to deflect all of that back to you in Jesus' name. Amen.